Hey everybody, welcome to Secondhand Stories. I'm your host, Jim Zabo. We're happy you're back with us to slow down and listen up for a bit. You may have already noticed that this episode is a little shorter than our past episodes. As our schedules ebb and flow here at Secondhand Stories, this may happen from time to time, but I thought it was important that, as busy as we may get here, we still put out at least one story for you. If there had to be an episode with only one story, this is a pretty good one. Today you're going to hear a story called Red Off. Red Off by Devin Murphy. Devin's debut novel, The Boat Runner, is forthcoming with Harper Perennial slash Harper Collins in the fall of 2017. His recent fiction appears in the Chicago Tribune, Glimmer Train, the Missouri Review, the Michigan Quarterly Review, and news stories from the Midwest, as well as many others. Devin is an assistant professor of creative writing at Bradley University, south of Chicago. This story is about trying to share small kindnesses with strangers and the weight of how we perceive others' judgments. Devin Murphy's story, Red Off, Red Off. Gene LaFall felt like he lived in three places. During the week, when he taught economics to undergrads in Sandusky, Ohio, he stayed in a two-bedroom ranch house, where the second bedroom was made up with a bunk bed for visitors who never came. His second home was a rented studio apartment near his daughter's house in the suburbs of Buffalo, three hours away. The studio had a bed, a recliner, and a television. He slept there on weekends so he could drive to his daughter's home to pick up her giant Newfoundland and take it to run in the state park woods. On those mornings, his grandkids, the twins, would meet him at the door in their pajamas with happy screeching and hugs, still warm and smelling of sleep, sugar cereals, and syrup. The dog was neglected, and though Gene had no great affinity for the animal, it would whine and jump in circles, nuzzling his palm with its wet nose until he leashed it and took it outside. But Gene lingered to get a hug from each of the kids, make them do it all over again. He'd blow a kiss to his always tired daughter, her face drawn and hovering over a steaming cup of coffee she never invited him in to share, because she still had not forgiven him for letting her mother down. But this was enough. It was worth the extra rent payment that kept him living check to check because it kept him part of the kids' lives. His third home, or what felt like his third home, was in the car, driving back and forth for the career that at some point broke off from his family life, like a giant ice sheet, and drifted away with him still on it. The drive he knew by heart. It was a straight shot using Interstate 90, a refinery near Erie, Pennsylvania, twin landfills rising out of the horizon, flat fields, the monstrous state penitentiary outside of Cleveland, an agriculture college's black heifer and sheep teaching farm, a 70-mile stretch of windmill farms. He'd stopped in every gas station and rest stop. On one occasion, he used every rest stop in one trip because of a stomach bug that sent him to the toilet and left him heaving between graffiti-coated stall doors that echoed the grotesque noises. After finishing his Sunday walk with the dog, Gene drove back to Sandusky, daydreaming about what he would do with the twins if they ever visited. Many plans, activities, swimming at the student center. All the things his daughter had loved to do as a girl. Halfway through his drive, amid the windmills, he saw a horse trailer with shredded tires on the side of the road. A young man was on his hands and knees between the trailer and traffic, looking to see what could be done with the spent rim. Gene slowed down, eased onto the shoulder behind the trailer, and put his hazards on. He had no idea how to change a tire on a trailer like that, but he knew there wasn't a gas station for 30 miles, and he loved moments like this. 
when the unexpected rose up and gave him something to do. The man on his knees looked to be in his mid-forties, a weightlifter with yellowed skin, a blonde ponytail, and half a dozen visible tattoos, one of a buffalo at the back of his neck. He hadn't shaved in a few days, and wore the sketch of a black beard along his jawline. A horse's white tail swished across the back gate. Anything I can do to help? Jean called as he walked closer. The horse bucked and kicked the back door so hard the whole trailer shook. The man jumped and almost landed in the driving lane. Watch out, Jean said. The man leapt back, his chest against the trailer to avoid whatever oncoming semi he must have perceived. Not a great spot, Jean said. No, the man said. I ran over something that blew two tires on the truck and shredded the tires here. Spooked the horse pretty bad, too. Gene looked up at the truck that had flat front and rear driver's side tires. The horse bucked again. So, what can I do? Well, I'm not really sure what to do. Got anyone to call? Not that's close. Well, nothing's close to here, I guess. The nearest gas station was a truck depot to the west. An 18-wheeler flashed by, and the draft of wind flapped Gene's shirt. The white horse rocked back and forth and gave three kicks to the door. Easy, easy in there, the man said. Any ideas what I do here? Can we call you a tow truck? I wouldn't know what to do with the horse, then. Can it stay in there? The man walked to the back of the trailer next to Jean. To be honest, I don't know. I'm just transferring it for my wife. It's pretty freaked out in there. Well, I can drive you to the next truck stop. They got an auto center with showers and the whole deal. Maybe they'll have a few spares, or at least donuts to get you to a proper tire place. Probably near Concord. They left the horse in the lopsided trailer, with a note tucked under the truck's windshield. Gene cleared his books on tape about astrology, mythology, and U.S. history off the passenger seat to make room for the man, who introduced himself as Sugar Bergman. Where are you taking the horse to? Gene asked. My wife runs a farm near Olean. She has a friend in Michigan that didn't want to pay boarding for it anymore, so I came out to get it. Are you a farmer? I married a farmer's daughter. Alfalfa in Olean, is it? Some, though it was nothing for a long time. Now my wife seems to make money from all sides. She plants soy and hay, takes government subsidies, has her own wind farm, which turns it around for us. Those bring in about $12,000 a year per tower. And we train horses. Sounds like an impressive woman. She is. So, you work with her? No. Well, sometimes, when I can't get other work. What's your specialty? I'm a mechanic, but I worked at a seed store for a while, then as a bartender at a place called The Tavern. I've had a lot of jobs. That's what you do when you're young, Jean said. Uh, not that young. You're plenty young to me. I've got a daughter about your age. Just a kid. And the way I see it, if you've got at least another day ahead of you, you've got plenty of time to figure it out. Jean pulled off the highway into Love's truck stop. 
The parking lot was full of multicolored tractor trailers parked side to side, ten across and three deep. An obese woman in gray jogging pants and a sweatshirt was filling her tank by the diesel pump. She held the giant super gulp mug. Jean pulled to a stop. Let's look for what you need. You don't have to help me anymore. It's no problem. Gives me something to do. Jean felt a small fleet of trucks vibrating on idle or waiting to fuel. Inside was a large convenience store, a hamburger restaurant, a trucker's lounge with pay-by-the-minute showers in the bathroom, and an auto center where a person could buy windshield wipers, wooden tire knockers, and snow chains. There was a laminated catalog of spare tires that were kept in the back room. One for the truck and one for the trailer would cost them $322. And that would at least get him to a proper tire store, where he'd have to pay for quality tires. On the drive back to the horse trailer, Gene talked about all the semis in the parking lot. You'd be amazed. Each had such a random load of products from all over the world. Each gets produced, coded, shipped, transferred, stored, displayed, sold, used, reused, then scrapped and recycled in just about every corner of the planet. Seems like you know the whole system of how the world puts money to work. That's what I like about what I teach, Gene said. My students have a hard time with the topic, but if they could just see it at work around them. How it isn't about money. It's about being busy and productive. It can be a special thing to spend your time thinking about. So on the micro level, it's about what two tires do to your economy. But the macro is about what the cost of a barrel of oil in Toledo does to an alfalfa farmer's bottom line in Olean. The connections make this ever-expanding web. It always amazes me. Always reminds me to be interested in what I see. Including dumbass husbands straining on the side of the road. Jean laughed. That's funny. I used to think the same thing of myself. Had a tough bastard of a father-in-law who never made me feel good enough for his daughter. He grew up during the Great Depression. Stern as all hell. He didn't think much of you? Well, I thought that for a long time. He meant a lot to me, though. I'm sort of thankful he passed before my wife and I divorced. That would have been hard on him. It was hard on everyone. It was past midday when they drove past the broken-down trailer, and Gene craned his head to see if the white horse was still in there. At an emergency vehicle-only U-turn on the highway, Gene pulled onto the gravel and waited for a gap in traffic to ease onto the southbound lane then tracked back to where he parked earlier behind the trailer. Gene stayed to help Sugar. Through the air slats in the trailer, he saw the horse was frothed in sweat. Its nostrils flared with each breath. Its ears were pinned back. When it sensed Gene, it kicked at the door. I can't change the tire with her in there, Sugar said. Doesn't seem like a good idea, Gene agreed. Gene rolled the spare tire for the trailer from his car. It was meant for a boat trailer, but it would work. Each truck that passed made a deep sucking sound that felt like an ear popping. Sugar laid the truck's jack next to the trailer. How am I going to do this? Will the horse come out kicking like that? Gene asked. I don't really know this horse. Could kick me into that field for all I know. He gave Gene the nervous smile of someone about to try something that scared him. A look Gene knew from the mirror. From memories of his own life. Moments like this. 
Gene opened his passenger side door and stood behind it, ready to hop in if necessary. Sugar held a rope lead in one hand and eased the trailer's door bolt up and back. Easy, girl, he said and cracked the door open. Easy. The horse kicked the door open and, quick as a fox, Sugar stepped into the stall next to the horse and looped the lead around her neck. In a moment, he had her backing out of the trailer, taking a big step onto the road in front of Jean's car. The horse reared her head and shook it, but Sugar tugged her to the side, and the horse stopped in the culvert and took a tremendous yellow piss. When the horse was done, Sugar walked it up to the front of the trailer and tied it to an eye bolt in the cab of his truck. Nice work, Jean said. Lucky not to have taken a horseshoe to the head. Gene took a white button-down shirt from his overnight bag, walked behind his car, and waved it to steer oncoming vehicles to the other lane to avoid where Sugar was propping up the trailer. Several cars slowed. Some changed lanes and whooshed past. Gene looked back to see Sugar on his hands and knees, the same way he'd found him earlier in the day. Now he was cranking on the crowbar to loosen the bolt. His hand slipped, and his knuckles punched the ground. Gene had done that before. He could envision the dark scabs across the top of his hand. Gene went back to waving his shirt so Sugar wouldn't catch him watching. After a moment, Gene looked back at the trailer and saw the horse run in front of the truck and into the road. It crossed both lanes, into the trough of the median, and up the other side at a full gallop, where it shot in front of an oncoming semi. The semi blared its horn. Sugar looked in time to see the horse just miss getting slammed. When the semi passed, the horse had already jumped the wire fence on the far side of the highway and was galloping across the field toward the endless rows of windmills. Sugar called the local police and told them what had happened, where he was and what the horse looked like. Gene drove to the closest exit and doubled back, this time taking the northbound frontage road, and when they saw the truck and trailer, still tilted to the concrete, he took a dirt road east toward the windmills, where the horse had run. Sugar held a halter and lead in his lap. He tugged at the rope and ran his thumbs over the coarse fibers. I'm sorry I've wasted your whole day, he told Jean. Don't sweat it. You know those little old ladies that wander the grocery store all day? Consider this my grocery store and my wandering. It gives me something to do. Nice of you. Not many would stop. Sugar tugged the lead again. I didn't tie this tight enough. I'm such an idiot. Gene had papers to grade. He'd ignored them all weekend. He'd planned on grading them tonight before bed, but it was beginning to get dark. It didn't bother him, though. A few more days without their C and D papers wouldn't kill any 18-year-olds. The windmills blinked on and off, like a long runway's landing strip. This was the way of the future. The human future always followed the flow of energy. Wind, sun, water, oil, coal, lumber. Back to pieces of shale sparking together over kindling to start the first flame. He liked the strange-looking young man next to him. He was honest with how he felt. His own son-in-law was always a low flame toward him. Polite, but distant. It set the measure of how his daughter and the twins interacted with him, or how they avoided it altogether. 
Sugar seemed more to the point. Like he was trying his best and knew when he wasn't up to it. He drove slow. Gravel ticked against the undercarriage. They saw no sign of the horse. Once, on a summer vacation during graduate school, on a trip to Glacier National Park in Montana, Gene had seen a dead horse swollen on the side of the road, the extended barrel of its belly about to burst. Stiff legs tilted like bent fence posts. You know, when the Berlin Wall came down, all these geniuses in my field of study from Eastern Bloc countries flooded into the United States. Every big university, especially in Buffalo, gobbled these guys up and gave them plum teaching jobs. They had Nobel Prizes, were world famous, big thinkers. It made it impossible for me to ever leave the dinky school I teach at. For a long time, I kept trying to get a job closer to home. I knew it was a strain on my family, but I kept trying. Of course, you can guess it never worked out. Sugar grinned and looked over to acknowledge he'd heard. Then he went back to scanning the horizon. For a long time, I felt that letdown was something my wife and in-laws saw as a failure on my part. I was so freaked out about not being good enough, I projected that everyone else was judging me for that. I think it shot my confidence. I would get in the car and do the six-hour drive to work and back to Buffalo with this mantra of self-flagellation. The lights on the windmill were synced. Red. Off. Red. Off. Red. Off. Like a path to some crystal future. Soon it would be dark, and there would be no finding the horse. I got wrapped up in the thought that I was failing, and it made me mean for a while. He looked over at Sugar. I hope I'm not talking your ear off. No, it's fine. Don't worry, I'm searching too. Sugar nodded. My in-laws were at our house for a 4th of July weekend. My father-in-law spent the whole time doing a puzzle with my daughter on the porch, and I was trying to deal with this great big infestation of moles I had in my front yard. Dozens of them had burrowed all over, and everywhere he stepped, the ground would pock in, and he'd fall and twist an ankle. It wasn't safe, so I was trying to get rid of them. I ran a hose down there and flooded them out, but that didn't work. I threw little poison pellets down the holes, packed the holes with dirt. I even tried quickcrete. It was comical, I guess, but I kept getting madder and madder, because he was there, watching me not do what I was setting out to do. All weekend, I kept feeling like a fool, and the more embarrassed and angrier I got, the stupider my plans became. By the time he left at the end of the weekend, I was beside myself, and the moles were still there. Can we take this turn here? Sugar said. Gene turned left, heading north down a road that had windmills on both sides. I'm not even sure what we'll do with her if we catch her, Sugar said. Gene drove and kept talking. Years later, my father-in-law told me he liked watching me fight those moles. I thought, you son of a bitch. And you know, I think he sensed my anger. Probably not the way you think, though, he told me. I liked it because it was clear you wouldn't give up on a goddamn thing. You'd belabor it to death. Stubborn or shamed, doesn't matter. You'd keep trying, even when you felt like an idiot. That was when I was most proud of you. 
Proud that my daughter found a man like that. That's what it takes to love another person in this world. Gene looked over at Sugar. He could still see his father-in-law as he was then. Gray-faced and weary, but still upright, and everything he said felt earned. When he told Gene that, it felt like a gift. You never know what others judge you by, Gene said. Your wife will understand this. The field was too big. It was getting dark. The horse would be spooked by gusts from the windmills and keep running. We probably won't find this horse, Sugar said. Probably not. Can we keep looking? Sugar asked. Of course. Thank you, as always, for slowing down and listening up with us today. If you want to hear more secondhand stories, you can check out all our past episodes on our website, secondhandpodcast.com, or subscribe on iTunes, and our new episodes will be delivered straight to you when they come out. Please remember to leave us a rating or review on iTunes if you like the show, or tell all your friends about it, and help spread the word. We're hoping to be back with another episode on December 22nd. Thanks for listening, and slow down and listen up with us again soon.